Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. Dose of Leadership Podcast, episode 291. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, fantastic show today. Sarah Rob O'Hagan is visiting Dose of Leaders today. Who is she? She's an executive. She's an activist. She's an entrepreneur. She's got a brand new book out there called Extreme You. Step up, stand out, kick ass, and repeat. Love that. Just came out a couple weeks ago. She's a passion advocate for uh, active lifestyle. She is the CEO right now of an indoor cycling company called Flywheel Sports. Prior to that, she was uh, recognized as a reinventor of brands, and she served as a global president on uh, Gatorade. And she's also was the global president of a, a luxury fitness company called um, Equinox. Equinox, I think that's how you pronounce it. I've seen that before, and it's uh, pretty impressive. Started a career with Virgin Atlantic Airways, and you know she was kind of the the one behind the Virgin Shag Atlantic with Austin Powers back in the day. I remember seeing that. And um, anyway, she was uh, she's just she's done so many things, and I'll let her talk about it in the interview. It's it's just a fantastic conversation, and you'll really enjoy it. Hey, check out LegacyLeaderBlueprint.com. That's where you can find access and information to my brand new online leadership course where you can get four modules, five videos in each module, 20 videos total, four hours of leadership training, plus some one-on-one live interactive training with me at a very economical price. And so if you're new to leadership or you're seasoned in leadership, there's something in there for everyone and I'm interested in having you join my Legacy Leader Blueprint Com Mastermind. And you can find more details there at LegacyLeaderBlueprint.com or you can find the link at DoseOfLeadership.com as well. Again, thanks for being a fan of Dose of Leadership. And without further ado, here is Sarah Rob O'Hagan on Dose of Leadership. Well, Sarah, so excited to have you on the show. Welcome to Dose of Leadership. Hi, it's great to be here. Oh, I'm so excited to talk to you. I've been looking forward to this conversation. I love <laughs> the whole idea, the concept, the manifesto, the values be- behind Extreme You. What prompted you to, to write it? Yeah, so um, I basically, gosh, probably about five years ago now, I started realizing when, you know, whether I would be out talking at conferences or, you know, seeing media articles that people would always talk about the achievements I'd had in my career. And it would make me super uncomfortable because they would never talk about the epic fails that had happened along the way and had informed them. And the more I felt uncomfortable about it, the more I started looking around me at just the world of social media at large. And I started to realize that we've had this really crazy evolution around how we talk about success to making it look like everyone's perfect. And that you know, when you start your career, you have to have a perfect resume and everything has to be perfect if you're going to get to the top of your game. And I was like, that's just a really confusing message for young people. And so I decided I wanted to tackle that topic and 
obviously writing a book, not just share my own embarrassing stories, but <laughs> right. also those of other people that I have really admired and looked up to who have become incredibly accomplished in their lives to see if they shared some of those same experiences. And essentially they did. And so what I have put together with the book is just a manifesto for change and tools for young people to understand how to get the best out of themselves and, and recognize that it is okay to not know where you're going to screw up and, and all the things that come with it on the way to finding the best version of you. Yeah, it's a great, we, we certainly broached this topic many times in these 300 interviews I've done on the show. And it, it is an overarching theme. I think it's so funny because when you think about, you know, the people that resonate with you when you're watching a speaker or you're reading a story, we never really gravitate towards someone that says, look how great I am. Look how perfect I am. Look how much money I've made. We do, gravi- yes. we do gravitate toward those individuals that have been in the mud and we love hearing how they pulled themselves out of the mud because it makes us relatable. It makes us realize, you know what, they're not that much different from me. That has probably been the biggest aha I've had after doing these interviews is when I've heard from people like, look, I wake up, you know, scared every day, you know? And so that to me is, is refreshing. Yeah. yeah. Tell me a little bit about why that uh, you think we ignore uh, the failure aspect of it. I mean, for for me, I've sat there, I could wake up and say, I got a warrior spirit at heart. I want to move mountains. I want people to write about what a great man, integrity leader I was. But here I sit on the sidelines and I haven't taken that step. Why do we do that? Yeah. Well, it's it's funny. I I do think a few cultural things converged over the last 20 or 30 years. First of all, the whole self-esteem movement. Let's start there. You know, when for some reason, we decided 20 years ago that, you know, giving kids trophies for showing up and telling them that, you know, showing up is what it takes to win was a big message. We wanted to protect people from the pain of failure, I think, as, you know, parents and then into the workplace. So I think some of it started there. And then you add to that the social media world of, you know, kids now growing up and those going into the workforce in a world where, we are showing nothing but perfect pictures of ourselves on Instagram and everyone's, you know, showing the crazy amounts of awards they've won at the age of 25, you know? <laughs> right. And, and I think somewhere along the way, we just, it became, we, we have to look perfect. We, to, in order to be successful, we must be perfect. And instead of, to your point, I think most of us deep down inside have the fear of like, God, why am I the only one who's not crushing it? Right, right. And and therefore we we do want to find those stories and relate to the people that um you know took a while finding their way. And it, it is funny, like I, I do think there's a stigma around talking about failure. Like I personally um in my book talked openly about getting fired not once but twice in my twenties. And it's been amazing to me how many people have said, God, no one opens up and admits that. And I'm like, why not? I know, right? <laughs> why not? There's so much power in that authenticity. That's what, I mean, maybe I'm, maybe it's because, I guess when I look back um, longer than five years ago, I can see that. I, I, I put a lot of emphasis or thinking that was that success or significance was driven by talent. We put an inordinate amount of talent thinking talent is what drives the success mm. and significance. And it's not really right. It no, is, it is absolutely. that, it is that mindset of mm-hmm. having, Oh, I saw an interview yes, yesterday mm-hmm. with Ron Howard and he, ta- oh, yeah. and he talked about this 
you know, and he says that the biggest thing that he learned is that anytime anybody that accomplishes anything of significance or success, what we see is like, and athletes are really good at this, mm-hmm. is that the ones that we see, we only see the successes, but they have had far more setbacks and losses than they've ever had wins, right? Yes, and absolutely. And when you're yep. when you're creating and you're putting something out there in the world and you're showing everybody what you have, you have to be able to have the mindset is like, look, that's just part of the, the price of admission towards this significance is that I'm going to have way more setbacks than I have what we consider successes. What are your thoughts on that? Totally agree. I I do believe that it's all about reframing in our heads what failure actually is because what's really scaring me a lot is when you look at the statistics, every generation from the boomers through Gen X to now the millennials have become significantly more risk averse and failure is the number one fear of the millennial generation, right? Mm. And when you hear that, you go, well, so therefore, they're far less likely to take risks and explore their true potential because of this fear holding them back. So if you actually just reframe it in your head and say, actually, I am never going to become the highest potential version of myself if I haven't not only failed, but gone through significant adversity to learn how to rebound from that failure it's almost like a necessary part of, of your growth. And I think when you start to reframe it in your head, it becomes less scary, kind of knowing you have to do it at some point. Right. And, and I also think, you know, it's easy for me to say now as a 45-year-old, not a 25-year-old, that once you get into really big leadership roles and, you know, the higher up you go, the bigger the challenges are, you actually – need that deep reservoir of resilience that helps calm you. If you, you know, you you will have that if you've gone through fails and adversity on the way up. But if you haven't, I, you know, I think it's, it's incredibly scary when faced with some of the big challenges that you will have. Yeah. Great point. I mean, I think that the, the fact that you've been in the mud, you've come out, you've washed out that mud and you, and, and still some of it rest in your crevices and the cracks in your hands and everything else to remind you where you've come from, that gives you that confidence, I guess, is what I'm hearing you say that, look, I've been here before or other people have been here before. And and as you go through these ups and downs and these valleys and these peaks, that's particularly when you're in the valleys that, look, there's somebody's been here before. I know I can get out of it too. And totally. I, yeah. Definitely. So how do we do, how do we, particularly you talked about the millennials, I, I, you know, you talk about in the book and part of your, your manifesto, manifesto and your values is you got to back yourself. You got to embrace everything that is you. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think I see a lot of people saying that, particularly you in the millennials and in the social media and look, look how great I am. I want to crush it. Look at you know, this <laughs> and that. <laughs> but even sometimes I see the, the, almost the extreme of the other ways. It's like they almost get almost, um, too vulnerable for vulnerability's sake. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 for sure. Or I actually don't even know if it's necessarily a only a millennial thing, but I think I can certainly say I've had a lot of experiences in big corporations where people are um, sort of too too scared to step out of line for fear of retribution, losing your job, whatever it may be, and you end up sort of editing your unique gifts or personality down to fit into the environment. And I think I get why that happens, particularly I remember coming out of the recession, you know, how 
a lot of people were very fearful of, you know, I can't afford to lose my job because I may not be able to find another one. And so they kind of play on defense instead of realizing that, especially in times like that, the company needs you to bring all of you to what you're doing to try and, you know, bust the company out of the recessionary time that they're in. It takes courage. It takes new thinking. It takes risks of, taking on projects that are unproven, you know, and it's counterintuitive because I think we all sort of go into that, you know, we sort of curl up in a ball and go, I'm just going to tuck myself in the corner and hope I don't um, get laid off. But actually that's what will end up leading to you getting laid yeah, right. off if you're editing yourself into the situation. Well, I wonder sometimes if, if, um, well, I don't, I don't know. I, I guess it's the fear of failure or fear, fear of, I find particularly in driver mentalities, people that do want to make a difference, I want to move mountains, that they struggle. And I've, I've done this myself, that it's almost like an imposter syndrome. Like I'm oh, going yeah. to be found out that I really you don't know. belong in this. It's not that you don't. You, you really do. I mean, you, you have the yeah. skills. You have everything you need to be the success and significance you, you want to be. But your yeah. internal kind of mechanisms tells you or your voice says, oh, my God, they're going to find out I am way over my head. Yeah, oh, for sure. You know, and I I could not agree with that more. And I think actually the number one way to combat that feeling is to remember that every single person yes. in the workplace around you feels the same way because yes. I do think it's a very deeply wired human emotion. <laughs> yeah, right. But I also think like that this is another counterintuitive learning that actually when you do feel like that imposter and you are in – over your skis in an area that you don't have the answers. Often you feel like, God, I've got to make sure I come off like I have the answers because otherwise why am I in the job? But actually if you turn around to the people, your peers, even your boss, those reporting to you and say, I really don't know how to do X, Y, Z. Will you help me? It's amazing how suddenly you're inviting that person Mm -hmm. into your success. You know, they want you to be successful if you're applying stuff that they have helped teach you. And so I do think that's my like recipe for overcoming imposter syndrome is just if you yourself man up and say, I'm feeling this way today because suddenly the elephant's off the table. Right. Right. (laughs) And people gravitate towards that. I think particularly if you're a leader, if you're a new leader, and you sit there, and, and we've all been there in those new leadership roles where we think, oh, my God, i got to have all the answers. But when you do become that human being and say, you know what, it's like that that confidence of suspending the belief in how it's going to get done. You just know it's going to get done. I don't know how yeah. we're going to get through this, but I know we are. I don't know what the – We will, uh, yeah, you know? and, and that sure. And people gravitate towards that authenticity, that vulnerability. And, and people follow when, – and when you make up the, the decision – to do something admits that uncertainty, that's what people gravitate toward. That's the courage that they're they're attracted to. They're not attracted to your knowledge and your, you know, how smart you are. They're attracted to the fact that you're you're courageous enough to make that decision in the uncertainty and you're willing to to embrace uh, whatever happens, good or right. bad. Yeah. Yeah. Hundred percent. I have my uh, I have a coach, an executive coach that I've worked with for years and years. He's absolutely like one of the greatest mentors in my life. And he always used to remind me in those days of making really, really scary decisions. He's like, worry less about 
did you make the right decision and worry more about how are you making that decision right? Right. <laughs> and it's such a good way to think about it because in the end, you can't you know, sit in the middle of the road and not have the courage to move. You've got to make these tough decisions and it all becomes about the courage of your convictions, you know? Right. Which goes to the fact that you got to stand for something. I mean, that's what I like about your message and what you're talking about in Extreme You is like you at least stand for something, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Or fall for anything, to quote Katy Perry. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. But, because it's true. I think if you um, – that's one of the greatest learnings I took from writing the book. I mean, I interviewed 25 people, some of the most successful, accomplished people on the planet, you know, from Condoleezza Rice to Sam Cass, the former White House chef, Bodie Miller, the skier. I mean, I could go on. People from all walks of life, artists, entrepreneurs, all of the above. And what they all had in common is that they had spent enough time in their youth, you know, their 20s, if you will, really experimenting and getting deep into experiences to know who they were, what they loved, what they didn't love, where they shone, where they didn't shine and what they stood for so that they could kind of essentially get the game onto their own terms. And I think once you've done that, every single one of them, particularly the entrepreneurs who were, you know, coming up with their ideas faced enormous amounts of resistance of people saying, here's why it won't work but because they by then had enough um, foundational sort of confidence in what they stood for, why they had more knowledge than the next person to do whatever thing it was, they had that conviction to go with it. And that's like the greatest single asset you can have. Oh, I love, I mean, love that you said that. I mean, I think the, if I, if I would have understood the self-awareness piece and how powerful it was, particularly when you're on a leadership journey, or a journey mm-hmm. trying to find is, is, and it never ends really. I mean, you're on yeah. it, I'm on it still, but I can honestly say that my twenties and thirties weren't spent so much with a true authentic assessment of who I really was. I was probably, I mean, I would do things that I wanted to do, but I found myself, you know, in conflict with like probably doing more of what was expected of me as opposed to what really I stood for. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Totally. And you know, what's tricky I I found from talking to particularly young people is that you actually have to, at some point in your twenties, you're likely to have to go against the advice of really trusted mentors, you know, (laughs) and because it could be your parents, it could be a professor, it could be, you know, a great boss that you absolutely love, who unfortunately, no matter how much you love them, they are not you. So they don't know what your unique skills and passions are. Only you can figure that out. And you actually have to sometimes go against what might feel right for another person to figure that out for yourself. Yeah. And the crazy unfortunate thing, the laws, rules of the universe I found, and and I know you've found this to be true too, is that when you have that, that calling or that fire in your gut or whatever it is that's driving you, you got to be careful who you share it with, because I can guarantee you that the universe will use people that are closest to you to try to stop that. I believe that. I mean, because I see it time yeah. and time again. And that's what you really do. Like to your point is you got to understand who you really are and what you stand for. And you got to take yeah, that smart risk. Definitely. At some point, you got to pull the trigger, I think. You're right. 
I mean, at some point, yeah. and, and, it, and it may buck some <laughs> of the, the people that are closest to you or people that you respect their opinions. It may be in stark contrast with what they say. And, um, oh man. Absolutely. Yeah. But that's, the- and going back to our discussion on failure, you actually might find that they were right. Yeah, <laughs> so yes, that's right. Part of the journey. That's right. <laughs> That's right. I mean, just because you you you're convicted and you make it, you may made the you may have made the wrong decision. But man, it, it's in the context though with the mindset that you're talking about in extreme you and what you believe. At some point, the word failure becomes almost a nonsensical word, though, right? Because yeah, it, that's it, true, actually. <laughs> because it, if it's part of the price of admission to this this crazy game, then let's just get used to it, right? I mean, yeah, we, we don't want to we don't want to fail. We'll. We'll take risks, but they're going to be smart, right? They're not going to be, mm-hmm. you know, we're not taking risks for risk's sake. And I think a lot of times when people hear the words like extreme or taking risks or, you know, you know, get yourself out there, you know, I think w- what comes to mind are people doing, you know, like, like base jumping or doing something yeah, right, you know, crazy, right, right, right. but it's not yeah. right. I mean, it can be a no. simple thing, anything that kind of, and it's personal for each one of us. Thing that might absolutely frighten me might might be second nature to you. Absolutely, but as, lo- as long yeah. as we push through it, then something significant's going to happen on the other side. That's the message I'm getting out of Extreme You. Yeah, and and it is ultimately the idea of being Extreme You is very personal. It's right. only you can know your interests, your skills, your idiosyncrasies. Like once you figure them all out, then you can figure out the most effective version of yourself, but it won't be anything like the person next to you. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, and that goes back to, I mean, if you understand that it, it's not, um, you know, again, I think I was, it's going from or, or moving from doing what's expected of you to doing what you're called to do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. How do you get there though? I think that's probably been my biggest struggle is like, well, how do I know what it is I'm supposed to do? I mean, how, yeah. how, how did you figure out what you're supposed to do? Well, it's interesting. I, I kind of in the book, I started to, once I you know started doing a lot of research, I recognized that these really like perpetually successful people did have a little bit of a cycle to their lives. So I call it the extrema cycle. And that is that it starts with, you know, exploration and trying things, being relentlessly open to new opportunities. So what That means is, you know, I think many of us go through our careers going, I have a mind that I want to get to this job. And therefore, when a curveball comes at me, I say no, because I'm heading in this direction, you know, whereas sometimes those curveballs open a whole aperture that you may not have realized was there. So there is this need to be open to new experience. But then within the cycle, there comes a time where I saw that with all the people I interviewed where they really would focus in. They've just they've found something that's caught their interest and attention and they tune everything else out and go really deep. And I think one of the things that worries me a lot for those entering the workforce right now is we see it, all of us, the job hopping. Like I've been here six months and I'm bored. Well, you actually haven't gone deep enough to even know that you're bored yet, you know? Right. <laughs> And I think that was one of the things that I really started to see is once people got really deep, that's when real, not only passion is made, but expertise is developed. And that's where you start to really get these anchors to who you are that can be applied in all sorts of different places. And then obviously the end of the cycle is you get really good at something 
and you don't rest on your laurels like that athlete you talked about before. They don't take one Grand Slam win and say, I'm done. They go and say, I'm going to go after the next one. Yeah, it's constantly pushing yourself to the next level somehow. And and I think with that, it's getting comfortable with the, the part of being uncomfortable. It, it, I kind of equate it to working out or running. Yes, where, yes. Where running really sucks. It hurts. I hate it. But man, if once you start doing it over and over and over again, it becomes addictive, even though it hurts. And it's yeah. not hurt for hurt's sake. It's knowing that you're kind of pushing yourself out of the cliche to say it out of the comfort zone, I guess. Totally. I think there's a lot of physical fitness metaphors, actually, because there's no question, you know, it's like it's like the classic thing of when you're on a health and fitness routine and you had a plateau because you kept running for too long. You haven't tried anything new. It's the mm. same in your life. You know, if you keep doing the same old thing, you're not going to push your development to the next level. One thing I'm curious about is, is that we talk about trying to find yourself and, and, and you talked about going deeper to see what you're really, what you're here for. It seems like, I know it's happened for me. I mean, do you have to have a splat moment, like a bottoming out moment before that <laughs> happens? I mean, it seems like you, you almost have to, unfortunately. Yeah. I, I personally do think so. Cause I, I think that's to me part of exploring your extremes. Like, you know, I had my own experience of, as I mentioned, getting fired twice because I was in, companies where frankly I wasn't um, equipped to succeed but the environments weren't right for me either and then I go straight into another environment where I like took to it like a duck to water and was just on the leadership track immediately you know and this is the same person who goes from getting fired to being a great success story in the next environment so the point is I believe you actually have to experience those extremes to figure out how to tune your radar of where you're going to thrive and be at your best. Yeah. You know, another thing I love about your book is, is, um, and I think a lot of times, particularly younger folks, um, okay, I'm bought in. I, I, you've sold me on the idea that I got to be myself. I got to be authentically me. I got to, you know, stand up, speak out, embrace who I authentically am, you know, buck the system, if you will. But at the same time though, you talk about, it's not necessarily just doing that because sometimes I see people just they try to be that all the time 24 7 and what you talk Mm. about in the book is like you know you got to know when to do that when to speak up when to be quiet when to pivot Mm -hmm. when to pivot when Mm -hmm. to focus when to kind of stop focusing on your weaknesses and and all that so it's not just 24 7 being hey look at me I disagree with everything you say because I'm unconventional and look at me and right does that make, does oh that make God, sense? Oh God, no. I mean, that's one of the most important things I believe about being an extremist is that you certainly develop a very strong filter for who you are and what you stand for. But you also are really relentlessly open to feedback and taking from feedback and applying it through your filter, like developing yourself. I had a great story I shared in um, the book about how I – in my early 20s, I got a promotion and then my boss told me that I didn't dress professionally enough. <laughs> right. and, uh, I was mortified, you know, I was like, that's embarrassing. And your first reaction, particularly in your 20s, is to go, well, he's just an old dude. He doesn't get it, you know. <laughs> right. But then you actually, you have to listen. There's a reason he's giving you that feedback. He's actually trying to help, you know. And once you kind of, you know, 
take what is the message I'm supposed to be taking from this and I apply it through my own filter, which is, you know, there's no way I was going to go shop at Ann Taylor. I was going to go shop at a place that was more true to who I am. But that's how you kind of develop yourself is by knowing who you are, but really listening in when people are giving you feedback that there's parts of you that are still a bit rough around the edges. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It's, it's, well, that comes with time and maturity, but I think it's, it's, again, it goes back to that importance of that self-awareness. If you know who you really are, you're comfortable with who you are, warts, yep. and, all, warts and all, Yep. bet on your strengths. I think that's huge. Instead of, I yep. think we spend too much time trying to fix our weaknesses, thinking that, oh, if I was just this way, I would be the full package. But instead, right. spend most of your energy on what you're really good at. Yeah, know? that's a big one. I, I talk a lot in the book about how Extremists, by definition, are not well-rounded. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's it, right. That's so true, though. Yeah, and it's and it's fine. Like, like for sure, you should play to your strengths, but that also requires understanding your weaknesses, exactly. so that you can partner with those that can help you. Exactly. You know, it's not necessarily ignoring them. Well, it's yeah. not. It's it, it's yeah. How can I find people to augment where I'm not so good at? What can yeah. I do to maybe improve a little bit? But I'm not. I'm going to spend twenty percent of my time on weaknesses. I'm going to spend eighty percent on my strengths. That's how I'm mm-hmm. going to do it, you mm-hmm. know. Because that's that's what the universe gifted me with. So I got to yeah. play to it, right? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. You know, one thing I, I got to. I'm curious about this. I've had. Uh, I've talked about this over the four years on this show. And as a father of four daughters, I mean, one thing that annoys me. Oh, oh wow! Lucky you. Yeah. No, but. <laughs> One thing that annoys me when I watch, and I saw this in some of your interviews when they're talking about the show, it's like people automatically go, they almost go to, they just want to go straight to the, how do I phrase this? The woman bucket, I guess. And they want to talk about how, oh, look at you. You know, you've done so well. And it drives me crazy. Oh, I know. That kills me. You know, it's (laughs) like, what? And I got to, and I've said this on the show. I honestly think, and I tell my daughters this. I've worked with some phenomenal leaders in the Marine Corps for 10 years and in in the corporate arena for 15. And I got to tell you, some of the best leaders that I have ever worked for have been women. And it was, and, and I think that, and I tell my daughters this for for whatever reason, I guess it's just the cultural indoctrination that we have is like that women have this opportunity to be some of the most kick-ass leaders. And I'm not just saying this because you're on the show. I firmly believe this. (laughs) <laughs> because they, they tap into, because I, what we consider, I can't tell you how many times I saw this in the Marine Corps and I've seen it in the corporate arena where we think, oh, this is going to be a phenomenal leader looking at a guy and he's doing all the things that culturally or societally we think is going to make him a great leader. And it, and it ends up being his biggest demise because he's not being authentic, right? Because he's not right. tapping into the authenticity the vulnerability, the empathy piece, which I think is so powerful in leadership and needed. And and mm-hmm. one and the great leaders throughout all of history got that, right? And I see some yeah. of these 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 larger than life type A driver mentality, which we think is drive success, isn't what drives sustainable success. I, that was that was long for me to say that, but I just wanted to hear no, your thoughts on I, that. I think you're right. I mean I I I actually think um Number one, I completely agree with you. It drives me bonkers that it's, you know, people constantly ask me about like, what's it, give me advice on how to be a great female leader. And I'm like, I'm, I want to be a great leader. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like, <I don't> know. <laughs> 
and I want to be the best executive I can. And I hope that my learnings are as relevant for men as they are women. But um, I also think certainly in the workplace, I, I do think that, you know, the natural styles of men and women as leaders are quite different. And I think they're both really, really relevant. And I think if you can sort of bring both sides together and, and get the mix of both, it's that's where workplaces are the most innovative and the most magical, you know, and I think it's when we become skewed too far one way or the other that it's not so effective. Well, I don't buy into the myth that that men won't follow women leaders. I mean, people follow leadership regardless of gender. That's what drives me crazy, I guess. That's I know. What, that's, I know. I know. Oh, I swear to you, I couldn't agree more. I wrote a blog post about this when I realized, actually, I looked back on my time working at Nike about how when we signed female athletes, our going and assumption is, will this person resonate with fe- you know young female consumers? It didn't even occur to us to think that they might resonate with a guy, which is crazy. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, good leadership is good leadership regardless, you know? I mean, exactly. you know it when you see it and you'll follow it. And people follow yeah. courage. People follow courage. It's that simple, really. I yeah, mean, definitely. Oh, this is awesome. I love your book. I love what you do. I love what you stand for. And I'm Thank excited uh, to have you on the show. How can people reach out to you? How can they find more about you? How can they connect with you? What's the best way? Yeah, so I, if they can go to my web, website at um, extremeu.com and all the, there's actually really some fun tools there. Like you can take a little quiz to figure out how extreme you are currently living. <laughs> and then um, also on Facebook at Extreme Sarah and Twitter and Instagram at Extreme SRO. So that's where I am. Perfect. I'll have links to all this on the post. Sarah, I could talk to you for hours about this. Yeah, but, this was fun. I really enjoyed it. But thank you for coming on the show. I hope to maybe bring you back at some other time. We can dive into some deeper topics. But thank you for sure. coming on the show. Awesome. See ya. Hey, thanks for tuning into the show. Go to richardryerson.com or doseofleadership.com. And fill out the contact page and reach out to me. Let me know where you're at your leadership journey. Also, if you want access to my brand new online leadership course to help become a better leader, go to LegacyLeaderBlueprint.com. Fill out your email and you gain access to a free 12-minute video that will reveal the top secrets of leadership and also show you how you can gain access, exclusive access, to my online leadership course. That's LegacyLeaderBlueprint.com. Hope to see you on the inside. Thanks for tuning into the show.